thanks for uh, inviting me to be your speaker this morning. And I don't often get to speak to the choir, so I'm kind of excited about that uh, because I suspect that most of the people listening will know what I'm talking about, which is not always the case. Uh, this morning, William mentioned that he thought that my talk would uh, would would move into what he was talking about, and I would say that he's absolutely on point with that because uh, he touched all around the edges of what I'm going to talk about this morning. So thank you, William. I appreciate that. Um, this morning, I want to start with a quote from the book of John, the 10th chapter and the 30th verse. I and the Father are one. And I want to start with the Lord's Prayer in Syrian Aramaic, the way that uh, very much the way that Jesus would have, the master teacher would have spoken it. Now, in Aramaic or in Hebrew today, most of their prayers are done in a sing-song manner. And I'm not going to do that uh, because I think that there is great meaning to this prayer. And I'm going to speak the Aramaic with meaning. Perhaps one might even consider it from, uh, from looking at, at male, female, and androgyny, more of an androgynous place, as opposed to the male perspective of the sing-song prayer. Awun tete malkuta, netwe sevyanak, ikana dwashmea apara. Halan Lakma Disinkanan Yumana Washwoklan Kayobain Ikana Da Kanan Shwakan El Kayuwain Ula Telen El Nishona El Pasan Menbisha Mito De Laki Malkuta Ukela U Tish Bokta El Alam Almin Amen. And the Syrian Aramaic translated directly into English uh, by way of George Lamsa. Awun is not exactly father. It's actually more akin to Papa. Our Papa who is in heaven, which is a state of mind, your name is sacred. Let come your kingdom. Let be your desire, even as in heaven, so on earth. Give us bread for our needs from day to day. Forgive us our offenses, even as we have forgiven our offenders. And let us not enter into temptation, but part us from error. Because yours are kingdom and power and glory from ages through ages, sealed in trust, faith, and truth. And finally, the transcendental interpretation of the Lord's prayer by Thane. Our Father, who art in the highest and the lowest, the first and the last, thy name is on the heavens and the earth, for thou art all. Thy kingdom, the sphere of thy rulership is within me, seeing which I may enter into thy wholeness and perfection. Thy will is the ruling power in the heavens and the earth. Thus it is well with me and all men. Thou art this day my inexhaustible supply, feeding me with living bread and clothing me with the raiment of the righteousness. 
thou hast always given me thyself for myself and the power to transcend my nature in receiving thine. Thou hast always set before me the task of accepting my divinity, whereby I am delivered from myself into thyself. For thine, mine, ours is the kingdom, the power that rules therein, and the glory of our own creation. You might notice that there is a little bit of similarity between the direct translation from Aramaic and the transcendental translation of things. And that's always been meaningful to me. Um, the other thing I would like to point out, this is the prayer when, when the disciples at the Last Supper or the, the uh, Seder that was going on, the Passover Seder that they were celebrating, said to the master teacher, teach us to pray. This is what he used. I want you to notice something about that. And, and what I notice more than anything, this is not a beseeching prayer. Uh, beseeching prayer is made famous by uh, a Janis Joplin song. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz, right? That's, that's what many people think of as prayer. This is a prayer of uh, awareness. This is a prayer of mindfulness. This is a prayer where we are putting consciousness first. We are bringing ourselves back to the awareness that this is a divine life in which we live. It's, there's not stuff out there. We don't need to worry about that Mercedes-Benz coming to us because if it's ours, that's a part of our, our uh, unpredictable good that will show up. And we don't have to worry about that. So in looking at the difference, um, the first thing that I wanna talk about in regards to the master teacher is I'm gonna invite us to set aside the supernatural story that we've all heard, you know, about about the virgin birth and, and then, you know, all of the things, because there's too many factors in that story that, that can make you dismiss everything. Instead, I want us to focus on the uh, ability to look at the story as an archetype, as a mirror, as a metaphor, as a finger pointing. What is a finger pointing? Well, one of the things I know, I have two really big dogs. And if I point my finger at something, instead of looking at what I'm pointing to, they look at the end of my finger, right? That's where everybody's focus is. And I think that in the process of studying the life of the master teacher, that we mistakenly look at the finger pointing, which is the master teacher, instead of what it is pointing to. Because everything that Jesus in his master teachership taught. He said, and everything that he did, his words to the disciples were that you can do this too. So he wasn't ever setting himself above. He wasn't saying, I am the way, the truth, and the light. He was saying the way I am, the way I am, the mirror, the way I am, the way you are. And that, that term Christ that we think of when we talk about the Christ consciousness, we're not talking about the person of Jesus. We're talking about an awareness. Uh, Christ comes from a Greek word, Christos. And Christos means anointing. And, and I have Greek family, so I'm familiar with a very common Easter term, 
which is Christos Aneste, which means Christ has written, risen. It's not Jesus has risen, it's Christ has risen. And that is a different idea. The idea that the, that the Christ, which is our true nature, the anointing that we all have, that individuation of infinite life that we are, that is the Christ consciousness. That is the ever, that, that word infinite, by the way, is, is the most important part of this. It means it never ends. We can rise and rise and rise and rise and gain greater understanding no matter which way we turn. So when we look at the teacher as a mirror or as a finger pointing, um, we recognize that the Christ is our title. It's also our archetype. There is Mara Christ, there is Rick Christ, there is William Christ. We are all a sense of that Christ beingness. And uh, the big problem is that most of us were taught as children and maybe even as adults that we were somehow unworthy, that we were lower than, that we could never reach the heights or the consciousness level that was reached by the master teacher. So if we go back to the night that Jesus in the story of Easter was arrested before he was taken before the tribunal, he was with the disciples in the garden. And what kept happening with the disciples? They kept falling asleep. Several times Jesus in, in throughout the New Testament says, awaken thou who sleepest. That is a metaphor for not staying conscious. And it's not just going to sleep. It's not being conscious. It's not being aware. And the disciples kept falling away from that consciousness, from that awareness. And he kept having to awaken them. And we, too, have to awaken ourselves from time to time as we remember um, what we're looking at. I like to refer to our true nature as divinity. I, um, I hesitate to call us God only because, and, and William pointed this out very well yesterday, only because the word God is a very loaded word. It's loaded with all kinds of things. Um, it may make us think uh, of uh, someone making a list and checking it twice and figuring out how we're gonna be punished for simply breathing. And so I prefer, personally, I prefer to think of it as the divine, the infinite, the absolute uh, principle. That to me is, is a much better uh, explanation of what it is that I'm referring to because there's too much baggage with the other word. But I invite you to use whatever word works for you. So, one of the things that is happening as we rise in consciousness is we are setting aside some of the uh, misinformation that we've picked up and taken into our consciousness. Um, and what I would like to point out to all of us in the choir is that uh, we are part of a group who uh, we we look at and we study two major teachings that truly set us apart from any other teachers of truth. 
I've been, I've, I'm very much aware of science of mind. I was in it for years. I'm very much aware of what unity teaches. And what we do with those two things is far different from what they teach as a means to the truth. Because what we are doing is we are literally trying to set aside false ideas. We aren't trying to just swim through everything until we get to the truth. When we do our translation, we're setting aside our sense testimony. What is it that, that we're being told? And more, more importantly, how are we interpreting it? Because that interpretation is what's getting in the way of whatever. So when we practice translation, we are, in a sense, setting aside everything that is a truth. That's, that's what we do in our fourth step. We take out every piece that isn't truth, and we're left with the truth until we reach that final high, hot shout where we recognize that this is the truth. We're not trying to manifest a Mercedes-Benz or a refrigerator or anything else. We are making room for that unpredictable good because our good will always come to it if we clear the way. And that's such a huge part of what we offer. And I don't know because, you know, I was away for so long and coming back, all of that is, uh, is fresh for me. And it's also tremendously meaningful. And I don't know, I know that some of you do, but I don't know who always shares that, that deep meaningfulness of this to me because I know no one else teaches anything like that. This is something uh, that, that has been handed down to us that is, for me, at least one of the quickest ways to set aside all that is not truth to open the way for truth to move into my life. However it may look, I don't have to decide. I don't have to draw a picture of what it should be. I don't have to uh, pray for the Mercedes Benz. I can allow that divine, uh, that divine infinite mind to unfold and in its unfolding, bring about that unpredictable good. I can also attest to the fact that the unpredictable good has been an enormous part of my own life. I have watched it unfold time after time after time after time in ways that I could never have imagined, hence the term unpredictable, because I didn't know any of the avenues existed. So I, I couldn't have scripted it. I simply had to hold an open page, a place for that awareness to move into me. And when the door opened, I was able to see it because that's another part of this, being able to see what is the truth behind whatever stories that we're telling ourselves as we're seeing these little tiny facets of what the ultimate reality is. It is our job to expand our consciousness. Um, now, I watched my dad do this with clients when I was uh, growing up and as I watched him teach and he did this over and over again but he used to work with new clients and uh, if Ben's watching he probably remembers this but he used to watch with new clients and he would he would invite them to do something 
and this was designed to stretch their consciousness because I don't know, Sarah, I know several of you have been uh, professional level students uh, studying for professions of, of doctors and scientists and everything else. And I also know that we're all aware of what it's like to live on a very fixed income during that time. And you're trying to figure out if you can afford dinner or a new pair of shoes. And so oftentimes my dad's clients, when they were new, were still living in that model of not enough. And so he wanted to expand their consciousness and he would invite them to, to take out $100 from the bank and to put that $100 in their purse or their pocket or their wallet and to go to the mall. And he wasn't trying to teach them to be consumers because he didn't expect them to consume anything or to actually spend the money. But he wanted them to go with the awareness that they held $100 in their pocket and they could go any place and look at any store and they could see what was available to them with what was in their pocket. That that was an absolute uh, possibility in front of them. It wasn't some pie in the sky idea. There was a hundred bucks in their pocket and they could go buy that if they wanted to. They may not be able to buy a mink coat with it, but they could buy something with it and they could see that there were things that they desired that were available to them. So it wasn't about the money and it wasn't about spending the money, but it was about creating the possibility, the infinite variety of possibility within their consciousness, because that's the thing that we have to open to in our awareness. Our sense testimony needs to change. And, and that is one way among many of changing our sense testimony, to be aware that if we wanted to, we could. Doesn't mean we have to, but we have the ability. It's not as far away from us as we'd like to tell ourselves. And so as we move what is not truth, out of the way, it opens us up to the infinite, which is really where we want to go. It's really what we want to be. We want to be aware of our divine nature. And when we use those processes of translation and the processes of releasing the hidden, releasing the hidden splendor, we open ourselves up to the infinite. We open ourselves up to a different way of being, to a higher level of seeing. Um, William spoke this morning. Uh, one of my favorite Psalms is uh, the 91st Psalm. Uh, and it talks about being in the place of the most high. And William spoke this morning about being at a higher level, looking down. He was, he was quoting the book of John, as, as I did this morning, one of those little overlaps. And, and in that rising up, as we rise in our consciousness, we become aware of so many more things. Um, you know, I've always thought when, when I think of, of translation specifically, but this is also true of RHS, I think about putting an elephant in the middle of the room and, and leading in two people blindfolded, one at the tail and one at the trunk. And as they experience the elephant, they're having tremendously different experiences. And yet there is a whole elephant to be known. And, and while uh, when we're doing our translation, we're excluding the middle, some of the time we don't want to exclude the middle because as we're 
opening ourselves to the fullness of the truth, where we can only see little tiny glimpses of it, we need to know that whole elephant. We have to take the blindfolds off. We have to become aware that there is more than what our five senses are telling us. And that is a rise in consciousness. That is moving to, why do you think Jesus always went to speak up on top of the mountain? He was rising up above the sense testimony. He was rising in consciousness. And that's why he said, let those have ears hear. Because, and, and William put this so eloquently yesterday, you know, when we're in class, uh, I can attest to this. I've been through FYL twice. And the second time through, after every class, I would say to Alex, is this the same class? Because what I heard, even though I had taken copious notes, I heard the same things. I mean, I remembered the topics of the class, but I understood them in a different way. Each time I went through it, I suspect that that would be true every time that I went through it because there is so much that is packed into that. And there is so much packed into our teachings in the Prosperos that each time that we hear a class, each time I go through translation, each time I go through RHS, I pick up another piece. I hear another point that I was not ready for. And that is what we do as we begin to transcend our sense testimony. We rise. We rise above that which seems before us like concrete and unchangeable, recognizing that as we move into consciousness, that everything can change. Because as our consciousness change, everything does change. Our, our experience is completely different. Our awareness of what's going on, even our awareness <laughs> of the BS, the belief systems that are taking place in our life, we recognize that there is a higher awareness going on. There's a higher life to be lived. The, the ever spiraling up of consciousness as we, as we come back around in a similar experience and yet our understanding takes us to an entirely different place. We have the awareness that life will never be drab. Life will never just sit where it is. It will always spiral ever and ever upward. This is part of what we share in the Prosperos. This is something that, and, and the reason this is so important to me is because I've seen the other ways to get there. And, and there are ways within those other teachings that help you get there. There are, there are ways that, that are a pointer, point, pointing finger for us, and yet, I've never seen anything with such clarity as translation and RHS. I've never seen anything that, that moves all the other belief systems out of the way. It takes the, the error of our judgment, the error of our thinking, the error of our ways and casts them aside until all that we have in front of us is that burning truth at the highest level that which is unchangeable, the absolute in front of us. And when our lives are created from that absolute, nothing will ever be the same. And the good news is 
we can't stuff that genie back in the bottle. Once we reach that higher awareness and truly reach it, there's no going back. We can't go back to old beliefs. We can't go back to, to old fairy tales once we recognize that the true story's even more grand than we ever guessed it would be. And as we see that, as we uh, experience that with our teachings, with, with recognizing our own divinity, with forever expanding our own consciousness, we see that we are indeed one. That infinite consciousness is one. And, and our awareness of that, our awareness is not separate. And while we can't view the entire elephant at once, it's there. It's absolutely there. And we catch glimpses and we see a bigger and bigger and bigger picture until we reach a place where as we are expanding that consciousness, we find ourselves changed. We are not the same person that we were at the beginning of the journey. We were all once five years old, and now we are, I believe everyone watching today is at least over 21. And as we are aware of the difference between the age of five and wherever we are today, that's how far we've come in the growth of our own consciousness. That awareness never stops. I love that it's infinite because, because it's infinite, we don't have to worry that we're going to find a resting place. <laughs> because that's never going to happen. We're just going to keep ascending as we uncover more and more of the truth in our life, as we work our translations, as we work our RHSs, as we move through those stumbling blocks that we ourselves set up, we can move them out of the way. Those misunderstandings, the misinterpretation of what was in front of us. And as we see the changes that are absolutely taking place in our life, we come to a place where we get to live on that mountain most of the time. That doesn't mean that, that life doesn't happen. That doesn't mean that, that stuff doesn't show up in our life. It doesn't mean that we don't sometimes see two plus two equals five because we do, but we don't have to believe that that's the truth. We know that there's something more, that there's something higher, that can I even say something better? Because we've caught a glimpse of it. We've caught a glimpse of that divine nature that we are. We've caught a glimpse of the higher realms where we can live. And I heard Thane once say, and I've always believed this, but he said, it's not necessary for us to give up this physical form, for us to understand the Christ consciousness that we are. We don't have to give up this body. When we, when we in our metaphor, uh, get off the cross, when we decide to stop suffering by what our ego tries to feed us, by all of the, the terrible stories we've told ourselves and all of the suffering that takes place, when we decide to get off that cross, when we begin our own personal ascension, above and beyond the idea that something's doing something to us. When we reach the place where we understand that mind is unfolding, 
but it's unfolding based on our perceptions. And as we clear those perceptions, and as we see much more clearly, as that happens, we reach a point where it's a brand new day. It's a brand new life, even though we're still here. We're still here, and yet we're living a new life. We're, we're living a deeper and greater awareness, not only of who we are, but of who each one of us are. As we look into the eyes of each other, we see the beloved. We see ourselves, for we are each other's mirror. Just as the master teacher is our mirror, we see the mirror of what is possible in our lives. We are open to that infinite beingness that we are. We're open to it coming up. And so if we look at our life and, and, we, and we think to ourselves, because, I mean, this is a part of what we do when we're, when we're going through our translations, but if we think about it, if we look at the question, and, and this is a proactive question, how would I be if I were living that infinite life? What would that look like? That is our invitation to lay aside everything that, that's not a part of that, to lay aside our persona, to lay aside our ego, to lay aside the masks that we wear, the masks that we hide behind, to, to lay aside those old ways of being and thinking that no longer serve us. And then we ask ourselves the question, well, if I am that consciousness, if I am that I am, how would I be? How would I be when I'm stripped of all that is not me? Who am I? Who am I as that divine consciousness? And we put on that mantle. We put that cloak around us because that cloak is not something that hides us. It's something that, that makes us shine. And as we recognize that, we're able to roll away the stone. We're able to roll away the stone from our own eyes. And instead, we no longer see the speck in our brother's eye. We're able to remove the log from our own. And as we are able to see more clearly and as we roll away that stone, we emerge almost unrecognizable. That's why the women who went to ready Jesus didn't recognize him because he had already ascended, spiritually ascended, something that is available to each one of us as we expand our consciousness and our awareness. He had already spiritually ascended. And as he wore the cloak of that ascension, when they first saw him, they did not recognize him. For he no longer presented as the son of man. He presented as the son of God, knowing fully who he was and what he was. We have that ability. We have that ability to recognize our own divine beingness. It is who we truly are. 
this meat suit, this, this car we drive around in, it's not who we are. We aren't a body, we have a body. We are a consciousness. We are consciousness, it's all we are. It's the only thing, it's the only thing we can be. It's what woke up this morning. It's what wakes up every morning. Awaken thou who sleepest. And recognize that I say we, because I believe this is a group effort. Because we are one whenever any of us comes to a greater understanding of truth. Whenever any one of us gets to a place where we have risen in our consciousness, it can't help but affect everyone. And that is the strength of us together. That is the strength of us as the prosperous. And as, as we teach what we know to the individuals in our life, because that's really the only way we can ever teach this is, is to each person, no matter how many people may be in front of us, it's always one-on-one. -on -one. And as we explore this in our own beingness, um, we recognize that as each individuation of consciousness awakens, its effect moves out as waves on a still pond. These waves move the constructs of all of us. They must, because we are one, and together we rise. Thank you.